0: If you're like me, you're just kind of dragging yourself out of an eggnog-induced coma, and, uh, and I had some fun, and hopefully you didn't drink too much champagne last night, but uh, I have a little video I want to show you. I want to tell you about this class, what we call the Matthew Journey, but I'd rather you hear about it from some of the people, some of the alumni, so go ahead and, and show that. Honestly, I thought that discipleship was for senior leadership. I I really never truly understood that it was for just the the average guy attending church. Um, I thought that it was about um, kind of being taken under the wing of somebody who is further along in their journey with Christ. I thought discipleship was um, sitting under a teacher day in and day out and learning more and more about the Bible. Uh, To tell you the truth, I didn't give it much thought. I didn't think an everyday... um, person like myself could be a disciple. I thought you had to have special training. Discipleship, it was like, come and get saved and your life will be, you know, rainbows and unicorns. We are all Jesus' disciples. Following the Savior, the one who called you out of whatever you were doing at the time and set you on, you know, this journey where you're following Him, that's really what it's all about to see what it was really like you know, walking with Jesus during that time. We're all called to discipleship in one way or another. Um, the Matthew Journey honestly gives me and anybody else that attended it the tools to be an effective disciple for Jesus. Yeah, the small group is always helpful because then we get a different perspective. The small groups were very interactive, we were able to talk together, share ideas, share, share conversations and really express our hearts and what we thought and what we saw in Matthew. And, but doing in an interactive group like that was really helpful, it really made it more of a life application thing. I love the small groups because you got to know the people each week better and better and you got to open up more. It was fun just to get to know other people as well, so that was always fun. It just gives you a a fuller understanding, a deeper understanding of the Bible in general and what Jesus was talking about. Um, The way it was written and the way it was done, I just felt like it gave Jesus a personality and so that helped me connect with Him better on that level than that He's just this faraway person. It has enabled me to talk with people knowing that that is discipleship, that sharing just my day-to-day walk with the Lord. This course really made the book of Matthew come alive to me. If you haven't taken this course, or if you're considering taking this course, you really should. That, that is probably your first sign. That uh, Jesus called you to discipleship. So Um, Jeff brings everything down to your level. I would highly recommend it. It, It's for anybody if they know everything about the Bible or nothing about the Bible. Just think of it as a class you're taking at a college. Only you know this is going to have significant and spiritual value to your life, not just you know uh, a plaque on a wall somewhere. Because you're going to gain a lot out of it, either through the material or just through um, the relationships you'll get with other people. This will not only be a great study, and you won't just learn a whole lot in a great interactive way, but it will teach you a process and ways that you can learn to study the Bible on your own. Okay. Well, we we actually published these bad boys. They're available on Amazon.com. You can pick yours up, but we ordered about 20 of them, and you can sign up for the course using your communication card, or out at the information table, we'll sign you up there, and the first 20 people, you get a discount, okay? Isn't that great? Awesome. Thanks. Um, we are excited to offer that course because, uh, as Kurt said, it's one of the best tools to just give you the tools, you know, to give you the stuff that you need in order to follow Jesus and, and construct your Christian life. Um, we're going to talk from Matthew today. If you have your Bible, open to Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to look at the Beatitudes because they contain the secrets to have a happy new you. Don't you like that title? That was Kurt's title, by the way. Uh, last year, we took our little kids to vacation at the Oregon coast. It was really fun. We hadn't been there in a long time, and we'd never been there with all of our kids. And So when we got there, we unpacked our stuff and walked down to the beach uh, where we were staying and we put out our umbrellas and our blankets and got out their toys. And they started to play. And they were scared to get in the water. It was kind of steep. The beach was kind of steep. And the surf was kind of rough. And so they just sort of played by the edge of the water. But even though they didn't get in the water much, they were just kind of drifting down. They just kept drifting down the shore. And I have to kept going out, getting out of my comfortable chair uh, and, and getting out and go, to go get them. So I finally, I devised a little plan. I took a stick. And I went down where they were playing, and I, and I dug this trench. I called it a line, but it was a trench, all the way up to where I was sitting. And then I gathered them around. I said, little guys, I said, hey, listen, I do not want you to cross this line ever. They're like, yes, daddy. So they played for about another hour, uh, pretending to cross the line. And then they run back over the line, shouting, the line, the line, <laughs> which was awesome. And... Uh, after about an hour, hour of literally watching the same game, I decided to get up and take a hike down the beach, and my little kids followed me, and we walked for about a, I walked for about a half an hour, I think, and uh, and they were just collecting little seashells and stuff, and suddenly my little five-year-old boy Logan, he goes, "Daddy," and I said, "What? W- 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 what? <laughs> you know?" And he, this look of panic came across his face, and he said, "Daddy, we forgot about the line." <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> I just left. I put my hand on his shoulder. I said, Logan, I am the line. <laughs> and he goes, Oh, kid. And he went back and collected seashells. The Sermon on the Mount, cha- Matthew chapters five through seven, before they tell us how to live, they tell us who Jesus is. And the thing that they want to tell us, or the thing that Jesus wants to tell us in the Sermon on the Mount, is, I am the line, I'm the standard. In fact, backing into the the Beatitudes in chapter 5, we start at the end in chapter 7, and Jesus tells us several things about himself. The first thing at the end there that he tells us is that he is the judge of one's eternal status. He says, many will come to me on that day, and they will say, Adonai, Adonai, which means, Lord, my Lord, didn't we do all these wonderful things in the name of the Messiah? He is referring to the false messiahs in that culture, guys like Haneda Mendoza, Honey, the circle drawer, ben Shetah, Shitt- uh, ben Ben-Zakai, Bar-Kopfa. These guys were false messiahs. And Jesus says, they will come to me on that day and they will say, look at the wonderful revolutions that we started in your name. And Jesus will say, I had nothing to do with that. Get away from me. And so he says, I will be the judge on that day. We move backwards a little bit and Jesus stands there and he says, you have heard Moses say... Don't commit adultery. You have heard Moses say, don't commit murder. And the next line is the most shocking, shocking line his hearers could have, could have heard him say. He says, but I say to you. Okay, no rabbi in his right mind would stand in a crowd and say, you have heard the first prophet of Israel. The one who delivered the Torah, the law, to you. You've heard him say this, but I'm going to tell you what that means because theirs was a law court culture. They lived in a culture where you had to base your uh, binding uh, principles or binding interpretations on legal precedent. So Jesus doesn't quote another rabbi. He doesn't quote a school. He just says, I'm going to tell you what that means. So he stands in the place of God, assuming the prerogatives of God, to tell you what the Bible really says. Isn't that interesting? Then we move backwards a little bit, and Jesus uh, tells them, that he is the fulfillment of all their hopes and dreams in Matthew 5:17. He says, "Do not think that I have come to annul the Torah. I haven't come to abolish the law. I have come to fill it full. I've come to fulfill it." He says, "I'm it. I am the, I am the end of everything that you have hoped and dreamed about. I am the Messiah." And then we come back. We back into this parking space where we're going to spend the next 25 minutes. And to the Beatitudes. What is a Beatitude? I, I, I put down here that they are nine counterintuitive principles of kingdom life. But they're really not principles. They're more like characteristics. When we first read them, the first thing we read is, how, what does Jesus want me to do? And that's natural for us to do that. But in reality, Jesus is make, uh, here with these, this opening salvo, these Beatitudes. Jesus is actually telling us something about himself. In Isaiah 61... Those are the original Beatitudes. In fact, they didn't call them Beatitudes. They called them Makarisms. That word is an Old Testament word for a blessing statement. And in Isaiah 61, the Jews in the uh, uh, synagogue, they would pull out this scroll in Isaiah, and they would read this in anticipation of the Messiah. But how does Jesus quote them? Not in anticipation of the coming Messiah, but the Messiah is already here, and it's me. So he opens, his opening salvo here in the sermon is... It's over i'm the completion of all this and you're blessed when you're in me so let's take a few minutes to look at these surprising blessing statements these surprising makarisms by the way that word means happy or fortunate blessed number one he says you're blessed when you're at a disadvantage verse three says blessed are the poor in spirit but theirs is the kingdom of heaven who are the poor in spirit who are they Well, he's not just referring to poor people. Some of the people up in uh, the area where he lived actually had more money than the people in the south. He's referring to the poor in spirit, those uneducated masses who don't have the advantages of those people down in Jerusalem who attend the synagogue schools and they attend the temple school, and they are wealthy people, but they are also spiritually advantaged. They have the benefit of having studied the Bible in seminary. And Jesus says, Blessed are those of you who haven't gone to seminary. Blessed are those of you who are spiritually disadvantaged. The gospel of the kingdom, the riches of God's inheritance was coming to the outsiders, the sinners, those coarse and unrefined masses in Galilee. In fact, the word Galilean became synonymous for sinner in the south. And that's why when the Pharisees, these rabbis, come up north and they watch Jesus have dinner with these people, they say, How can you eat with these ruffians? How can you eat with these unrefined sinners? And Jesus says, the gospel is for them. Blessed are you, sinner, because the kingdom of heaven is close. It's at hand. You're blessed when you feel spiritually disadvantaged. You're blessed when you feel like you lack access to God. You're blessed, Jesus says, because God cheers for the underdog. He always bets on the long shots. Number two, he says, you're blessed when your heart is aching with pain. Verse four, blessed are those who mourn, for they'll receive my comfort. Who were those who mourned in the first century society? Well, first of all, it was pretty much anybody. Because the mortality rate was really high in that world. Here's why. How many of you, uh, just as a poll, please do raise your hand. How many of you have ever had an abscess tooth? Would you uh, raise your hand? Holy smokes. Keep your hand up, please. Uh, how many of you have had the flu? Uh, kind of a trouble battle with the flu. Okay. How many of you have had a minor surgery or a major surgery, something like that? Okay, pretty much. Uh, so there's probably 10 of you in this room who have not. You're the 10 who would live in the first century. And I'm not joking. In the first century, an abscessed tooth would have killed you. There was no dentistry. They didn't have doctors. All they had was shamans. You didn't go to a doctor to get fixed. The mortality rate was incredibly high. I mean, I think of all the times that I have taken my little kids to the the doctor, all four of them, which is quite a lot, actually. Um, I think of all the times that I've taken my little kids to the doctor, and if it wasn't for some penicillin or some antibiotics or something that they gave the kid, I probably wouldn't have half of them, at least. But in the first century, the mortality rate was high. If you were 25, you were a man. You were considered a man who was getting older. If you were 30, you were a wise elder. If you were 40, you were an old man. If you were 50, sorry, Kurt, you were a really old dude. (laughs) (laughs) Are you glad things have changed? (laughs) The people who mourn in that world are all of those who had lost little kids. What made it worse was that they had this horrible, awful ritual purity culture in which they had to take one of these uh, baptismal baths, these cleaning baths, every time they did anything. And the irony is that those, those little baths that they got in for every, any and every reason were cesspools full of disease. You were also mourning uh, if you were anyone who lived in Jesus' era. Because your dad was probably killed in a revolution, a famous revolution. In fact, a series of them started when Jesus was two years old in a town called Nazareth by a guy named Judah the Galilean. Judas the Galilean, a pious Jew who gathered all of the men of Galilee, and he said, we are going to march to Rome, and we're going to knock their blocks off. And Rome came down and squished them all. So pretty much every man in Jesus' audience Has had a dad or an uncle or someone who was crucified on the hillsides of Galilee in that Jordan Valley for standing against Rome. So they're mourning the loss of their fathers. They're mourning the loss of their dads. And the wives are mourning the losses of their husbands. These people were in pain. How about poverty? How would you all like to be taxed at about 59% of your income? How would that feel? You probably will be. If I'm sorry, I won't say it. But uh, <laughs> I'm apolitical. <laughs> Look, you can you imagine this? Most of your paycheck, as soon as you get it, or most of your catch of fish, as soon as you pull it out of the out of the onto the beach there in Galilee, the Sea of Galilee. And there's a tax collector or a dude that works for Herod, who is Herod's minion, who is uh, Rome's minion, who's standing right there waiting waiting to get their cut. Can you imagine this? Now, you want to talk about poverty. These people were in pain for lots of reasons. And I imagine today that there are some people who have experienced some heartache this last year over something. It could be an, an unmet dream in your life. It could be the loss of a loved one last year. It could be your health or your sickness for whatever reason we all mourn for various reasons and Jesus says this he says you're blessed favored you're at the top of his list you are my target he says because i want to come and comfort you i watched my mom lose her husband my dad my sister her daughter her second husband and her third husband and every time she did it she would crawl in a hole of God's presence and she would just sit and you couldn't say Sharon be blessed how trite how uncaring but she would sit in God's presence and guess what she was blessed she was blessed with comfort for her mourning she taught, she taught me how to live through suffering thirdly Jesus says, you're blessed when you refuse to be bombastic. Verse 5. He says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, he says. Who are the meek? I've heard some really dumb sermons. I'm sorry, I don't mean to be so coarse, but uh, I've heard some really stupid sermons on, on this passage. Very Americanized sermons. Well, meekness doesn't mean weakness. It doesn't. You better believe it does. In the first century, in the Greco-Roman world, it was the weakest possible trait. The Romans didn't say, blessed are the meek. The Romans says, blessed are the domineering. Blessed are the deceptive. Blessed are the adulterers. Blessed are the ruthless. Those who get ahead, those were at the top of a Roman beatitude list. But Jesus chooses the weakest of all character traits, and he says, you're blessed, you're favored, you're happy when you're weak. Now, meekness does mean gentleness, but it's gentleness embracing the weakness of others. That's how it's weak. What do I mean by that? When, when I first got saved, if you guys would have known me 11 years ago, the year before we had Tyler, you, you would not recognize me. I was a very abrasive, aggressive... Uh, some of you have seen... I'm sure Kurt has actually seen this side of me, but uh, on occasion, but we all have our baggage, but... Uh, and Suzanne is smiling at me because she's seen it on occasion too. Uh, but, but I used to be this really sort of abrasive, aggressive person. And God cured me, or he started my curing process with my first baby, Tyler. Because I'm standing there nervous in the, in the hospital room. and the, You know how they do. They wrap him up like a little burrito and just so tight he can't move. <laughs> and they hand you that little package. And I'd never held a baby before. And I didn't know what to do with them. I was afraid I was going to break him, And so what did I do? I dialed down my strength. I held a little fragile baby who's so fragile I could break it. And I was very conscious and very aware of every single second I had him in my hands because of his fragility, because he was fragile. When I got him home uh, later on that year, I would lay him in the floor and put little toys out around him. And I would tickle his belly and play with him. But I played with him always with a a gentleness. And what I was doing was being meek because I was sharing his weakness. I was participating in his fragile nature. That's what meekness is. Jesus says you're blessed when you refuse to run roughshod over others. That's the value of the kingdom. They will inherit the earth, Jesus says. Fourthly, you're blessed when you crave justice, moral purity, salvation. Well, Jesus uses shorthand for that, which is the word righteousness. You and I read a lot of our sort of uh, theology into that word, but here's what it meant at the first, in the first century. Here's what righteousness was. It meant three things. God's justice for the downtrodden. God putting the world right. It meant... M- Moral and ethical purity, the pursuit of ethical purity in life. It also meant fulfilling God's purpose or God fulfilling his purpose to save his favored people. I saw um, starvation up close when I was in Belize, Central America years ago. Uh, We were there with a team and we had gotten to this, I don't even know where it was, but we went down into the city and uh, we were loading up our stuff to head out to where we were going to serve. And I wasn't doing anything, so I kind of walked out the door, and I saw some little kids, little street kids playing, and over by this trash can, which was like no, no one had serviced that trash can in ages. Three little boys were playing around. And one of the little boys reached deep into that trash can and pulled out, I don't even know what it was, some, something, used to be food, had bugs on it, several different colors, and he just popped it right into his mouth before his friends could get it. And then they just went on playing, and I just went, you know, I just, it just grossed me out. Your threshold or your standard for what you will eat lowers the hungrier you get. And Jesus said, blessed are those who are hungry, thirsty for God's righteousness. God's righteousness. He says, when you're desperately hungry, when you crave a resolution to the injustices that you see in the world, every single time you give a dollar, a dime, to help a little kid drink water in Guatemala, which I'm sure we're going to do again, probably this year or next year, when you give to those projects, you write injustices in the world. He says, blessed are those who are excited, pumped, to be pure in their heart. To be blameless in their life. He says, Blessed are those disciples who long for God's salvation to come to the outsiders. That's righteousness. You're blessed. God says, Watch out. Next, he says, You're blessed when your default mode is compassion. What, uh, what does that mean? He says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Jesus' audience lived under the merciless and pitiless system of the Pharisees and the scribes. In fact, it is true that all of the Galileans did not like them, not just Jesus. Uh, they all resisted something called the oral Torah, which was their, all their extra laws, extraneous uh, laws and legalisms that they were trying to oppose, impose on the people to make them more righteous before God, right? But these people lived under this inflexible and unyielding, religiousness. I guess that's not a word, but I just made it up. Have you ever been there? Somebody ever done that to you? Some self-appointed Captain Bible Man? (laughs) And I have a confession to make. I love being Captain Bible Man. (laughs) Man, you ask me an ounce, and I'll give you a pound. That's true. Ask her. That's true. But somebody whacked you with their Bible knowledge, right? That happened to Brian not too long ago. He got done preaching a sermon and walked down off of the podium and some guy made a beeline to him and just opened the Bible and tore into Brian. I mean, ripped him a new one. Can I say that? <laughs> it's East Point. Of course I could say it. What was I thinking? <laughs> Brian comes down here and this dude just rips into him. I'm like, oh, he better not be glad it wasn't me. We better be glad. But somebody takes the Bible and they hit you with it. How about you? Have you done that to somebody? Maybe it wasn't about the Bible. Maybe it was just you were right and you knew you were right and you were going to rub their faces in your rightness. That's what he's talking about. He says, blessed are those whose default mode is just mercy. Just don't be right. You can be right, but it's about how you're right. He says, mercy cures, mercy heals. You know, mercy is that characteristic that would cure and stop every war in this world. Everyone. Think about the, the people who have recently bit it, who were ruling some, in some dictatorship. Musharraf, or not Musharraf, but uh, Mubarak, Osama. You know, these guys like Saddam, Gaddafi, I think, was the last one that they got. Where do they find these guys? They're in a hole somewhere, and people are chasing them with pitchforks and guns. And they've spent their lives feathering their own nests, not showing mercy to their people. And in the end, they are gunned down like animals. What a way to live. How different it could be if they were just merciful people. God himself, this is his character trait. God shows us mercy when we don't deserve it. They will be shown mercy, Jesus says. The other day, Tyler and I, this literally happened a few days ago. I'm not joking. Uh, we, we, uh, we walked into to, uh, Super 1 and Post Falls out there where I live. And we were just talking about, you know, some, some stuff. And, and it was one of those days, one of those holiday days where it was just nobody there. And there was one line all the way down at the end. There was just one aisle that was even open. And I walked in. It was quiet. And I just kind of noticed a guy on my left Struggling. And so I stopped and looked, and there was this older, uh, sort of heavy gentleman who was trapped between two of those little supermarket scooters. You know, those little electric ones that they ride? And his rear end was in this one, but his legs and his arm and his neck was in this one. (laughs) And uh, I looked at him, and at first I thought he was picking up some change or something he dropped, but then I realized something doesn't look right here. And he, his... uh, he, he had his neck over the handlebars and he looked like he was really in trouble and his arms were shaking like he was trying to push himself up and what had happened was he, this one didn't work so he tried to get into this one but nothing else would cooperate once he got his buns into this one and so what he did was uh, he was just kind of stuck there and I, being the sharp alert guy that I am <laughs> I just sort of went, sir, or, is everything okay? and he goes, no, help! And then I paused again, <laughs> uh, like I needed to make sure. And Tyler was behind me. He goes, get him, Dad, get him. <laughs> and so I went, okay. And I ran back behind him, and, and, I, and he was kind of a, a, a big guy. So I got him, and I thought I would just lift him up, but he was total dead weight, totally. So after two minutes of wrestling with him, I finally got him nestled over into the other one. And he was fine, and I was like, are you okay? Is everything okay? And he goes, yeah. He goes, oh, God, he was about, he was about to cry. He goes, thank you so much. He goes, I didn't know how much longer I could hold on. And I, he goes, you were the only guy that came in here in the last five minutes. <laughs> and, uh, so I said, hey, no problem. God bless you. Have a great day. And we got our stuff and got back in the van. And, and uh, Tyler said, that was totally awesome. <laughs> he goes, let's go do it again. Let's go save someone else, Dad. <laughs> and uh, And I think what Tyler was trying to tell me was that he was hooked on mercy. He was hooked on mercy. And man, in a kingdom sense, when you show a person mercy who is desperate and in need, you get hooked on that. You want to do it again and again and again because that is the character of God. That act of mercy is something of God in you that wants to help other people. So, Let's be the happy, blessed disciples this year who treat others with mercy, not who rub their faces in our rightness. Next, he says, you're blessed when you negotiate peace. My favorite commercial is the Shat in Priceline Negotiator. I love that. Sorry, I just had to share that. Verse 9, he says, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called the children of God. The peace negotiators. Now, you don't know this. Maybe you do. But the, this is the most scandalous one in the list, actually. For the people listening to Jesus, revolution was in the air. The Messiah would come and, and he would lead an army like Judas the Galilean, except he wouldn't get squished like Judas. He would, be, he would win. He would overcome Rome and, and, and put Israel back at the top. Make them the, the head and not the tail and nothing less. Remember that prophecy in the Old Testament? Well, that's, well, that was their expectation. And Jesus says, blessed are you, though, when you make peace with your enemies. <laughs> that was very offensive to all of these people. How many people in your life, just stop right now and just think, who are those people in your life who could be blessed this year by you being a broker of peace? It's so easy to go to war. Some of you retreat. Some of you, like me, you're heat-seeking missiles. You're ready to roll, right? Um, But Jesus says, blessed are those who negotiate terms of peace, who are mediators and stand between the two opposing positions and say, let's work this out. Let's bring peace, the peace of God to this situation. Next, seven, you're blessed, he says, when you're willing to take some shots for the Savior. willing to take some shots for the Savior. He says, verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, he says, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus identifies all kinds of ways to be persecuted, insults, Uh, People just getting on your nerves, telling you that you're a loser for believing that Jesus stuff, false accusations that happens in the workplace, slanderous allegations. You know what is the best way? One of the best ways to devalue an economy is to flood its marketplace with counterfeit bills. And persecution is really an attempt to lower your stock in the kingdom. It's really an attempt to sort of lower your value in God's economy. But the truth is is that you and I cannot possibly be depreciated in God's sight because you're not an investment. You're not a liability whose value rises and falls with the whims of the market. You have eternal worth and value. You are God's precious child you meant enough for him to give his own son. So he says, you're blessed when you're willing to take some shots for me. When people try to devalue you by telling you you're an idiot for believing that gospel stuff. Since the death of Jesus 2,000 years ago, 43 million Christians have become martyrs. 43 million. Over 50% of these or in the last century alone. More than 200 million Christians uh, face persecution each day. 60% were children. Every day, 300 people are injured or die in the name of Jesus. Those statistics sound really foreign to you and I, don't they? Because that is not the world we live in. I mean, yeah, we get the occasional pushback on the job or the occasional, uh, you know, somebody in our family telling us we're dumb for loving Jesus and believing in him. But really... Can you imagine system-wide persecution against the church? Jesus says, when you're willing to take some shots for me, when you're willing to be devalued and depreciated by those who hate me, you're blessed. In fact, I don't see you as anything but an honorable person. I'll put you in the category of a prophet, he says. I'm going to wrap it up by uh, showing you a little app that I got on my phone. This is really so fun. Um, This app is a stopwatch app. And I took this out a few days ago to just time my sermon. I like to do this because I don't want, I'd rather, my my theory is I'd rather leave you longing than loathing, okay? So I don't want to talk too long. And so I always time my messages. And what was funny is I pulled this out and I I put this, took this app out and it, it was already running. In fact, it was running from the last time I did it. It was like a million, there was a million seconds on it. And I just I thought that was funny. I went, "Oh, a million seconds." And then my next thought was, "What have I done with the last million seconds of my life?" <laughs> I mean, when you put it in those terms, a million seconds. What did I do with them? Here's how many seconds you will have this year. 31,536,000 seconds in the year 2012. So my question for you today is, how are you going to spend them? Are they going to be kingdom seconds? Is your life going to look like this? Are you going to be the blessed, favored person that Jesus died for, his disciple who shows mercy and kindness and meekness and gentleness? Is that the kind of disciple that you will be over the next 31 million seconds of your life? Or will it be a life of selfishness, self-centeredness? Because really, these are the two roads. You read that Sermon on the Mount, Jesus put two roads before them, you can take this path or take that path, and the path of the kingdom is the blessed path. Amen? Amen. All right. Jesus says, to recap, for all you underdogs and long shots, take heart. God is in your cheering section. Now, he's painted his face and his stomach with your colors, and he's waving your banner, man. He's in your cheering section. For all of you who are suffering from an aching heart, be encouraged because Jesus is a medic for the battlefield of life. For all of you who embrace your weakness and refuse to steamroll over others, you will reap the reward of kindness. The earth is yours. For those who crave justice, who thirst to be pure in heart, who long to see God's salvation to come to outsiders, be blessed because Jesus will fill your coffers with his righteousness this year. Stay thirsty, my friend. Sorry, I had to say that. For those whose default... So y'all got that a little late. Uh, For those of you whose default demeanor is compassion and mercy for others, watch out because God will have mercy for you when you least expect it. For those of you who are agents of God's peace... Live expectantly because yours is the kingdom of heaven. And lastly, for those of you who have ever been devalued or depreciated for Jesus' sake, cheer up. Because your stock in God's economy could not be higher. I'm going to call up the band and we're going to worship one last way. Let me pray for you. Bow your head and close your eyes. I'm going to pray this over you. Just receive it, okay? Heavenly Father, I pray for every person in this room. I pray that you would make them the merciful, blessed, favored people in 2012. That every one of them would choose the path of the kingdom, the path of embracing the weakness of others, the path of loving God passionately and loving others like you love yourself. Bless this congregation Lord this year bless them may they crave justice for the wrongs they see in this world and may they do something about it may they long to see hunger and thirst to see salvation come to the outsiders God's righteousness to the world May their hearts long for it God may you make them agents of peace in a world of hostility In the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so uh, I don't want to pray for you anymore. I want you to do it. I want you to go do it. I want you to think this week how you can walk into a new year being the new you, the blessed you, the favored you. We're going to worship one last time and I'm going to ask you to, uh, to give as an act of worship. Go ahead and prepare your offerings. We, uh, As Kurt said, we're going to move into this new facility. I think we're going to fill it up. I think God is going to bring us more fish. I think that God is going to expand our borders and do everything He's promised that He is going to do. I absolutely believe it. But I'm going to ask you to be faithful in your giving. Some people bellyache once in a while to those of us who are on staff, you know, about talking about giving, but I don't care. I do not. We were put on this earth, we were put on this earth for a mission. And it takes resources to run that mission. So I want to encourage you to be faithful. And I want to thank, thank all of you for being faithful who have been. God bless you. Let's give and let's worship.